Amen. Can you give the Lord a hand as you're seated today? Thanks, team. Beautiful, beautiful song. If you have your Bibles with you today, would you take them and turn to Luke chapter 10, and we'll spend our time there this morning. This is not in a series. It's simply an opportunity for us in a transition moment. I, I wanted two weeks to be able to transition, and then as I got into it, I realized last week we wanted to go a little bit extra long with the, with the alternate ending series. It was a great time together, and uh, uh, hearing the testimonies, if you were with us in the 10 o'clock last week, we got to celebrate some baptisms. It was just a great, great time together. Um, a couple of years ago, um, I was in Washington, D.C., actually at the White House. It was about a week and a half before the whole shutdown thing took place. In fact, it was all just starting to cook during that time. And so it had been 2020, uh, whatever it was, two weeks before. And um, I was invited to um, a presidential briefing on... Oh, the theory toward, I think it was Israel and religion. It was, it was just a, a neat opportunity to be with a number of believers from around the United States. And one of the great privileges that I had was actually to meet then-President Trump. I, first time in my life I'd ever met the president, and that was really a, a neat thing. Um, actually, I didn't technically meet him. I, I saw his motorcade go by I, in fact, he never waved back that I could tell, but I'm sure he was in there because there were lots of people um, down. We were in the room, and I, I, know, I met the guy who works directly with President Trump in these areas. Well, it wasn't the guy who works directly with him. It was the guy who worked for his son-in-law, Jared. And I assume Jared knew him, and so I, I, I know a guy who knew a guy knew the president, and so it's kind of like I met him. It was pretty neat. Actually, I didn't actually meet the guy, but there was a guy in my party that I had had breakfast with that knew the guy who knew Jared, who knew Donald Trump. So kind of, kind of knew him, kind of met him. Isn't it what they say, you're five people, six people removed from like every person in the world? I think they say that if you go five people out, you know somebody who knows somebody knows somebody. They'll know somebody who knows somebody. Unless you're Pastor Bruce, I point over here because Pastor Bruce and Sherry always sit over here. Pastor Bruce is related to everybody in the world. <laughs> he is, I have never met a person who knew his third cousins and second cousins and first cousins I will just tell you, you don't even know it, but all of you are probably a cousin of Pastor Bruce. He knows, he is connected to everybody. And the reason I bring up that story is that sometimes when we connect and we talk about the Lord, it's, it's, it's kind of a second or third hand experience. Back in 1991, I became a pastor in Warsaw, Indiana. I had just come out of college. I pastored for two years in college at the Wright Union Protestant Church. It was called the Wright Church. I always said, hey, come to the Wright Church. That was the only way, well, it was the only thing I could say to get people to come out to this little Cornfield County crossroads of uh, two dirt road church. And uh, started in Warsaw, Indiana, and uh, I met a guy by the name of Mac McNeil, and he introduced me to a book by J. Oswald Sanders called Enjoying Intimacy with God. Oswald Sanders, wrote, written in 1960, Oswald Sanders 
introduced me to a concept that I had not really ever heard before or understood, and it was the circles of intimacy that people can have with God. Starting in the Old Testament story of Moses on Mount Sinai, he talked about the fact that there were circles of intimacy. You had the crowd, the, the, the Israelites who were down at the foot of the mountain. You'd, at the very foot of the mountain were the elders of Israel. I think there were 70, might have been 120, but there were elders that were at the foot of the mountain with Moses. If you read the story, they actually went with Moses to the foot of the mountain. They stayed at the foot of the mountain. Then Moses went up the mountain and he actually had somebody with him. He had Joshua, son of Nun, with him. But then when it came time for him to meet face to face with God, Joshua, son of Nun, I think Aaron might have been there as well. Not Aaron, sorry, uh, uh, Ben. They were left behind and Moses went and met with the Lord. There were four circles of intimacy. Face to face, then there was the outer, then an outer, then an outer circle. If you come into the New Testament, it's a little easier to see with Jesus and his circle. Jesus had 70 disciples. And I know that's not popularly taught, but he actually had 70 individuals that, that he sent out that were disciples or they traveled with him. But we know the 12, right, by name. And so he had the 12 disciples. He had the 70, you had the 12. And then there was the inner three, Peter, James, and John. They were kind of the inner circle that went into special areas with Jesus. And then there was the one, John, whom I call Jesus' best friend on earth. Four circles of intimacy. And when I was reading through that book that was given to me by a, an elderly man by the name of Mac McNeil, at least I hope he gave it. It's got his name on it. I hope he gave it to me. I may have borrowed it and just never gave it back, but I'm pretty sure he gave it to me. It's been sitting on my shelf and it stares at me because it reminds me that so many times people, they accept a second-hand encounter with God. It's, it's what somebody else has told them about God. I know a guy who knows a guy. I, I know a pastor who knows God. I, I know a friend who knows God. It's, it's, in fact, there was a book by the name Second-Hand Jesus. It's, it's, it's removing the, the rumors about Jesus Christ and discovering him firsthand in your life. I put the, boat in the, bottom, or the book in the bottom of your, your notes. That many individuals are satisfied with kind of a second-hand encounter with God. And the fact is we actually have a choice about what that encounter is going to be. Now, I want to take you into Luke chapter 10 today, and this is a passage that if you are a, a person who likes to stay busy or tends to worry, a lot of times these messages are given to kind of point to the challenges that we have, but it, it isn't that as much as it is to teach us about the desire of God desiring us to come into an intimate relationship with him. I would dare say wherever you're at with the Lord, the Lord wants you to come closer, in fact, it's interesting, right before this story is told about uh, Jesus going into the home of Mary and Martha, we see that there's a religious leader who comes to him and says, hey, Lord, what is the most important law? And then we learn the truth where it is the primary law of God is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. God's number one priority for our life is simply to love him and to know him. And so in Luke chapter 10, he comes, Jesus comes to the home of Mary and Martha, and here's what it says in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. 
She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he had to say. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations. I would underline that word distracted. All the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Say that phrase with me. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, it's interesting because when you look at that passage, again, you can look at a, a Mary heart, a Martha heart. There have been books written on the subject. I've done messages on the subject. But what I want you to see, rather, is an invitation that God is making to us as believers in Jesus Christ of what he wants for us in our relationship with him. And the first thing that I notice is that intimacy with God is his highest priority. Notice it says in this passage, only one thing is needed. See, Martha thought that Jesus needed food, but Jesus said, no, there's something more important than food. And Mary, or Martha thought that Jesus needed someone to serve him, but more than serving him, Jesus' highest priority is for us to know him and to come into relationship with him, to have intimacy with him. When you work down through scripture, it is interesting the different illustrations and metaphors that are given of what God wants for your relationship with him to be like. In fact, there are four primary word pictures that are used to describe what God wants for your life in relationship to him. The first one is found in John chapter 15, and it is simply the illustration or the word picture of the vine and the branches. We're the branches, he's the vine, God wants us to abide in him, God wants us to be connected to him, God wants us to draw all of our nourishment from him, and Jesus says this in John chapter 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, if a man, if a woman, if a person remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so what he's trying to help us to understand is that our spiritual fervor, our spiritual nourishment, everything that we have comes from him. It's a, a dependency, and that dependency is nurtured when we abide. We take up residence in him. And when we do that, when we seek him, he has a way of producing spiritual fruit in our life. Fruit that actually remains is what the term is in John 15. It means the things that are of eternal value that actually mean in heaven, that's going to be the result when you simply abide in him. Make him your first priority. Jesus says, I am the vine, you're the branches. By the way, if you're disconnected from the vine, you wither, you die, you shrivel, that's the lesson. Now, there's another picture in Scripture of what God wants us to be, and Paul says it this way. He says, you are the temple 
of the Holy Spirit. That's found, by the way, number passages. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, he's trying to help believers in Corinth understand that they are giving themselves to all kinds of sinful activity. And he says, that is really inconsistent considering that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God, you are not your own. Now, that imagery is pretty powerful because if you go into the Old Testament, we understand that the temple is the place that God's manifest presence, his, his manifestation is made visible within the temple of the Lord. You come into the New Testament, and Paul says that as you give your life to Christ and the Holy Spirit takes up residence within your life, you are now the temple of of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence within your life, and what that means is God wants to be present in your life, and when God is present in your life, the fruit that bears testimony from that is a life of purity and holiness. That, that's the result in that passage. It's not about you just trying harder in your own strength, but as you seek him, as you abide in the vine, one of the aspects of fruit that will come from your life is a life that will model him. Holiness will be a result rather than just a destination. Now there's another picture that Paul uses. John uses the same word image, and that is number three, we are to be in a marriage relationship with the Lord. As a husband and a wife, we are to be in intimacy with God. Now, the passage that really speaks to this, I didn't put it in your notes, but I do want to invite you to go there, is found in uh, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. And in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is talking about husbands and wives and how they're to relate to one another. And then he, he basically helps us to understand that marriage is based on a heavenly concept that actually the idea of marriage existed in heaven before it ever existed here on earth. And so he begins to talk about husbands and wives in the same way that God would view us. And here's what he says about husbands. He says, husbands, verse 25, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He says the Lord sacrificially gave everything that he was for you as the body of Christ. He is the reason that you exist. He says to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish. And he looks at them and says you are like a husband wife. Now what's interesting about that, it says God wants us to be as a husband wife we are the bride of Christ, and yet it says in Genesis chapter 2, it says that the man and his wife were both naked and knew no shame. Don't focus on the nakedness. Imagine that our relationship with God can be like that, where we can be fully vulnerable, fully exposed. He knows exactly who we are, and we don't have to feel any shame in his presence. That's what he wants for you. He said, like a vine and a branch, I want you to draw all of your strength and nourishment from me. 
like the temple of the Lord, I want my presence active in your life, like a marriage relationship, I want no shame, I want you to be fully known even as you fully are close and know me. And then the fourth one, which most of us probably was one of the first ones we ever heard, and that is, is like a sheep and a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus said in John chapter 10, he said, I know my sheep, my sheep know me. By the way, I know my sheep and my sheep know my voice. Which means what? I want to protect you, I want to guide you, and I want you to follow me. So I don't think it is too far to go to say that God's most important priority for our lives is not to sing a song, although they're beautiful, and not to preach a message, and I'm hoping it will be at least adequate, or to even study the Bible, or to, no, it is to know him. It is to come near to him. It is to seek him, and he says, when you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all that you are. It's his highest priority. The second truth that jumps out of this passage is that intimacy is not just the first priority. Intimacy with God is more important than working or serving him. Now, I want you to see, he doesn't say working for him or serving him is wrong. It's just not the best thing. Notice what it says. Mary has chosen what is better. Martha, it's okay for you to serve me in the kitchen. It's okay for you to care for me. It's okay for you to do things for me. Phil, it's okay for you to minister into people's lives for me. It's okay. But but let me tell you, the most important thing, Phil, is not that you're a pastor, not that you preach, not that you teach, not that you, but that you know me. It's the highest calling for all of our lives. And, and there is something in a lot of our mentalities, I grew up with this mentality, that we replace worship and intimacy with work and service, and we think it's the same thing, and it's not the same thing. God says, I want you to be near me. I want you to come close to me. I want you to be in an intimate relationship with me. To quote Revelation chapter 2, I want our love to be a first love relationship. It means that new love relationship. When you fall in love with the bride of your youth, he says, he says, I want that to be the kind of relationship we have. And what happens is over time that can drift. Back in 1991, I told you that we moved from... uh, Iowa into Warsaw, Indiana, we got into a home on a wing and a prayer. We had just enough to get into a home to kind of fix it up a little bit. We had a little bit of money that we had set aside in Indiana. We called it the baby fund uh, that we left in a bank in Indiana. In those days, it was a little harder to get a hold of it. We figured if we stashed it before we went to college, it would be there if we ever needed it, which, by the way, it's a good thing we had it because Tammy was five months pregnant when we moved to Indiana, and it became our baby fund, and that's how we paid for Brittany. And uh, so we did not have hardly anything. I mean, it, we, did, we, didn't, we got into the house, but we didn't have any furnishings. We didn't have any appliances. And so I did what probably most of us started off in life doing. I, anytime I could find a used anything, I was buying it. 
got a used refrigerator. I got a, got a washer for my brother-in-law that he had basically put together with rubber bands and duct tape. I mean, it was just, it held out for about a year for us before it gave out. And, but we didn't have a stove. We didn't have an oven. And we located an oven slash stove. In fact, it was cool. It was a Magic Chef oven with a microwave on top, 75 bucks. It was about 45 minutes from home. I hadn't seen it, but you know what? It met all the qualifications. <laughs> I could afford it. And so I showed up at this house. I went up to Napanee, got with my father-in-law. My father-in-law had a little pickup truck. And so we went to pick this thing up about another 12 miles away. We show up. It is gorgeous. It is the right color. It, it is in immaculate condition. Even then knew these were $1,000. It had a microwave. Everything worked. And so we loaded up the truck and uh, we were going to take it down to Warsaw and uh, got ready to take off with that little truck. And my father-in-law said, you think we should strap that down? And I said the words that have haunted me, believe me, my family has reminded me of these words many multiple times. Oh, come on, it's not going anywhere. At least five times a year my family says that phrase. And uh, we took off down Highway 119 and we weren't a quarter mile down the road and I heard a thud. And then I looked in my rearview mirror and just saw boom, boom, boom. And uh, so I just had this, you, you know, the what if thing. If I, oh, if only, if only. And and uh, by the way, anytime my father-in-law and I were not long ago, we were taking something somewhere, and I said. Uh, Wayne, you think we ought to strap that down? <laughs> I, I, I've kind of learned my lesson on strapping things down. We got back to it. Um, the handle was broken on the uh, microwave. It had a little bit of a crack in the, uh, in the mirror or the window part. The side of it was all dented in and stuff. I took it home, crossed my fingers, plugged it in. It still worked, actually. The microwave did not. But... Um, for five years, it was a wonderful place to store our loaves of bread. <laughs> uh, and by the way, we sold it with the house five years later. Um, every time I would go out to that microwave, by the way, to replace the microwave was like $400. That's like all the money in the world to us back then. And so we had a little microwave we probably picked up at a garage sale, and that became our, you know, our microwave. And every time I would get a piece of bread out of there, I would think, I would remind me, if you'd have only strapped it down. Five minutes. Five minutes would have saved so much. And it is so easy in life to become so busy doing things for the Lord that we forget to be with the Lord. Now, I happen to think the Lord wants more than five minutes, but five minutes. I've, I've learned the hard way at this state in life, at this stage, that I can do way more with God's favor than I can do in just my own strength. In fact, I'm, I'm starting to look at, whether it be worship or the time with the Lord, I'm looking at it like a tithe. 
See, I believe that 90% plus God is, goes way further than 100% on my own. And it's amazing that when we give time and we seek his face, and I, I guess I don't want to get into all the details of the how-to because sometimes we think of Bible reading and, and we think of prayer and we, we think of church and we think of those things as kind of a checking off of the list. Those are all great things, but Jesus said to the Pharisees, you study the scriptures thinking that they have the secret to life, but those very scriptures point to me, and yet you deny me. And so you can actually study scripture and miss intimacy. And I love scripture. Man, you talk about the easiest way for me to be with the Lord. Man, I love the word. But Christ says, I, I want you to seek me. So intimacy is his highest priority. Intimacy is even more important than working or serving him. Number three, intimacy with God is actually a choice that you can make. Verse 42 says, Mary has chosen. Now I realize the Lord chooses. I realize the Lord selects. But, but Oswald Sanders introduced me to a concept that to me is so powerful. He, he literally said, we see from Scripture and we see from life that today you are as close to God as you choose to be. It's a choice. Sacrifices, yes. Endeavors, yes. Coming before him, yes. But it's a choice. And I share to my kids all throughout their life, I share it to people all the time, life's about choices. Everybody has to make them. And so make them. And I know that people say, well, pastor, you know what? It's easy for you to say, literally you are paid to get close to God. You don't think it's a challenge for a pastor to replace doing with seeking? In fact, I always say it this way, you pay me to be good. You're all good for nothing. I find that sometimes it's easier to do things than it is to seek him. And I find my hardest time is when I have days off or when I have vacation time scheduled. I get out of my normal routine and I, it's like I want to get on to doing that stuff that I want to do, you know. I want to get out there and get it done. It, it's a challenge. Listen, can I just say this? If you are a Martha Hart, you'll struggle with a Martha Hart no matter where you're at. And God calls us to intimacy, and he says, you've got to make a choice. It's my highest priority. It's not that all this other stuff isn't important, but this is the best choice. This is the better choice. And you do make a choice. You do have a choice about this. But just as a, a last step, which is really encouraging, he says, but I want you to understand that intimacy is actually the antidote to anxiety in your life. Notice, notice what happens in this passage. He says, Martha, Martha, verse 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about so many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha is all frustrated and anxious and he says look look at your life you're working really hard and you're completely overwhelmed Paul says it this way he says do not be anxious about anything but in 
everything by prayer, petition, thanksgiving. Present your request to God. Come into his presence. Give this stuff to the Lord. Seek his face. And then he says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say that the situations will go away. It's just that he gives peace in the midst of that. It's the cure for anxiety. And oh, by the way, it's not just the cure for anxiety, kind of as a last little bonus here. It actually prepares you for the storms that are still ahead. It is really hard to prepare for a storm when you're in a storm. But when you seek him and you have relationship with him, you go through storm and that foundation is already there to guide you through. By the way, I'm speaking about Mary and Martha. It was just not long after this that their brother passed away. They went through a storm. But they already had the foundation of relationship. We're, uh, we're evangelicals as a missionary church, as Colonial Woods, which means that we put a priority on um, helping people come to a decisive moment where they decide to follow Christ and then we do tend to put a pretty large emphasis on, on heaven, going to heaven. But I heard a guy on the radio one time say this. He said, evangelicals are wonderful at heaven as a destination, but we are often really weak when it comes to the journey. Christ didn't just die on the cross so that we could someday go to heaven. Christ died on the cross, rose from the grave, gave us the ministry of the Spirit of God within our lives so that until we go to heaven, we can do the journey. And for the last 15 years, 14 years, I've really been trying to focus on the journey, not just the destination. Father, thank you this morning that you love us enough to, through your word, challenge us. And Holy Spirit, when we started the message today and when we began our time together in worship, we invited you and we invited you to have your way. That means no matter what you speak to us about, we were ready to listen and obey. And I wonder if the Lord's been speaking to you today. Can I, can I tell you that intimacy begins with relationship? And if I've never started a relationship with the Lord by admitting that I've sinned and that I need Him, well, that's the starting point. Sometimes we confuse going to church or acting like a Christian as being a Christian, but it really, it really starts with just simply acknowledging, Lord, I desperately need you and invite you into my life to lead me. I want to know you. But in our journey, we can oftentimes slide back into the doing and forget about just being his child. I will tell you with my grandchildren, there is nothing that I enjoy more 
than having them sit in my lap, putting their head back against my chest and saying, I love you, Papa. And our Heavenly Father desires for us at times to simply be and be in His presence and say, I love you, Papa. So Lord, remind me to choose. To choose what is better. I seek you. I want to know you and I want to go on the journey with you. Every day remind me when I start rushing past you to just simply be with you. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.